everybody. Welcome to Church on the Rock. Man, I, I hope you can sit back and relax and uh, remember all the good days that we had actually live together and dream about the days we're going to be there together. That's my little complaint. I hope you got your complaints out of the way because right after this sermon, you're going to feel guilty about them. So, <laughs> so, so let's, uh, I hope you got some good complaining out of the way there. It's a good day to go to church. It's a good day to go to church. I wish I could tell you all the good things that are happening here at Church on the Rock. Uh, just so many good things. I heard about one of our young adult uh, events, what they're all in, you know, social distance uh, vehicles and everything. We had 33 young adults uh, come and, and hang out, and uh, I thought that's awesome. I'm also writing thank you notes to all those of you who have given to the building project. And, uh, you know, some people say, well, you know, are there just a few people, you know, a few rich people that have, have uh, really uh, given? And, and I've, I get the privilege of writing 279 thank you notes. That's just how many people are engaged and involved. And I love, thank you, thank you, thank you, Church on the Rock, for not even in weird video times, not sort of taking a back seat, but jumping in and getting involved and saying, this is my church and this is how I'm going to be involved. So thank you, thank you for tuning in. Oh, yeah, yeah. And remember, get your phone out and, uh, or, or your laptop if, if it's possible. Go, uh, go to the little thing that says, all right, share, punch share, and then it says, uh, afterwards a little box comes up and it says share now, share now. That's all you have to do, and you can go and share this message to all your friends online, so I hope you can do that. I'm going to jump in, we're going to pray and uh, dig into God's word, all right? Let's, let's go. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are good all the time. In the midst of messes, you are good. When we are head-to-head -head with spouses, when, when it feels like our, uh, our families are coming apart, where it seems like online learning is just, just a gong show, when it, when it seems like the people we so want to be around, we can't. You are alive. <clears throat> you are with us and you are beside us. Heavenly Father, we want to hear from you. So right now, we want to open ourselves up and say, could you speak to us? We don't want to be separate or distanced from you. We want to be close to you. And I know one of the ways you do this is through your word. And so make it come alive for us. We invite you to do that in Jesus' holy, holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you, uh, if you know Church on the Rock, we have series, and we have a little series here, and we have some hot sauce here, and I'm not going to show you the label because it's probably not, not good. Anyway, so, so the idea is our mouths get on fire. I just, our mouths are places on fire. I asked the question when I was uh, asking God about what to preach about. I said, what would be one thing that would change the course of people's lives? And, uh, and the thought came to me, this one thing is the key relationships are often and ruined for a lifetime. And families actually never talk to each other. There's this, this uh, ongoing bitterness that happens only, only by a few words that are said. Maybe not even a complete sentence. But some of the things that, that are said stick in the back of our mind and go over again and again. I, I grew up with that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. I think it's the opposite way. I'm, my, the bruises get healed but guess what? The words stay in the back of my mind all the time. 
And so we looked at James chapter 3 last week. James chapter 3 says we all stumble in many ways, which is great. Thanks, James, for being sensitive, realizing that we, it's hard for us just to live this, this Christian life. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect or complete or mature. If you want to be a mature Christian, one of the first places you look at is this thing right here. That's the thing right here. And he says, uh, we will be mature or perfect to keep our whole body in check. In other words, if, if you watch your whole person to be in check, make sure you watch what you say. Words we talked about last week are disproportional in effect. Just a really small thing on fire can set a huge thing and make great, great, uh, great differences. I remember, uh, I think I was around uh, six or seven. I, man, when I think back, all my memories uh, land on age six for some reason. Anyway, I was probably maybe seven or eight. And, uh, and we, we had the, you know, uh, burners on, uh, in our kitchen. And uh, to make tea, we didn't have the electric kettles, so my mom had like a, a, a corningware pot of water that she would set on. And, and she was doing something else, and she said, hey, David, can you go and take that water uh, and, and get it off the burner because, you know, it's probably done by now. And I went there, and it was not only the water was not only done, but the pot, the Krellware pot, instead of white, was red hot. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know what to do. So she told me to take it off the burner. So I took it off the burner and I set it on the counter. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, I did that. And then there's this wonderful thing that happened immediately. There's this smoke off, of the, off the countertop. And you could just see flames flickering around the countertop. I went, Ah! Do I pick it up? Do I touch it? Do I try and bring it back? I don't know. And finally, my dad got there and put it back. And we looked at this counter. And there's this, like, spot about this big black, just the countertop, just torch. And I, I'd say it sat there maybe for about 10 seconds. So that is what fire does. It's small, very small thing. 10 seconds. Something might just slip out, but it has lasting damage. I remember just looking at that countertop for days, for weeks, for months, for years. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the countertop later on. But just something, words, words are disproportionate in effect. The beautiful thing is, the Bible, if you're, not, if you're not a believer, if you're not used to reading the Bible, the Bible is so practical. It, it just doesn't tell you, this is bad, this is bad. I think a lot of people think that's what the Bible says. This is bad, you're just bad people. It actually gives you solutions, life solutions. It is so practical. So this is what it says. It's, it, it actually tells you that e even though we might think that everyone does, uh, does things that are crazy, why would they say that? Why do they do that? Everything that everyone does makes sense to them. Everything that comes out of their mouth that makes sense to them. Even though we said, why would they say that? The reason that we say that is because we don't know. And so we should be quick to listen and uh, go, just go in and start to ask to understand. So hold on, hold on. Why did you do that? Why, why did you say that? I want to understand you. And that, that just creates relational harmony, brings people together. It is a beautiful thing.
Well, the next point of danger with our mouths, we're going to jump into the story of Moses. Moses, he's one of my, uh, my favorite uh, uh, biblical characters. He was a leader of people, but he, he was asked to be a leader, sort of uh, in kicking and screaming. He said, come on, God wants you to be a leader. He said, no, no, I don't want to sense anybody else. So poor Moses gets stuck to be a leader of a whole nation. And so what does his good people do, the good people that he gets to lead? They complain. They complain about how Moses and God planned made the things harder for them. They complained about being pursued by an army. They complained about how the water tasted. They complained about what kind of food they got. They complained about just even having food. They complained about Moses' leadership. They complained about the people in Canaan that they had to take on. Fourteen times, fourteen times they complained in Exodus and Numbers, just 14 times. And th those aren't, you know, that, that's a lot of complaint put in one place. I often, when I read the Bible, try and catch the feel of, what would that feel like to be like Moses with the people that's complaining all the time? My mind went, to, went back to when I was a youth pastor in Iowa, and uh, we lived in the, in the uh, 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 bottom south of, of Iowa, and that's where I... I uh, I uh, ministered, and our denomination had a, uh, what you call a youth retreat up in the, the top north, uh, northwest. And so I packed up, get this, I packed up 15 junior highs in a van, and we drove seven hours to a youth retreat. Seven hours of those junior highs. So we get in there, and I'm driving. And as I'm driving, like the first thing that comes out with silly, silly strings. I'm not sure if they even still make it. It's, it's string in a can. They, they, and it's, they're just shooting it all around. It's coming in. I'm swatting the stuff away. And, of course, the van's driving like this. So uh, a police officer pulled me over. And uh, he, he, said, he said, have you had anything to drink? He, he pull, got pulled over for drunk driving. And uh, he, he looked at all the kids that are going, ah! <laughs> and then he's, he says, I understand. My, my wife is a, a youth leader at a church. <laughs> and then he just walked away. <laughs> so good. Seven hours into this trip. And, you know, uh, we weren't even one hour into it. Are we there yet? Are we? This is long. I have to go to the bathroom. I don't like. This is hot. Can you open the windows? Don't open the windows. My hair is blowing Seven hours! So whenever I try and think of Moses, I think about that seven-hour van ride up to youth retreat. So all the time, and I would always say, are we there? I'd always say five more minutes, even if it was six and a half more hours. So let's jump into what happened. As, uh, let's, let's actually listen to the complaints, because it's good to listen to some of these complaints. It, it's very uh, telling about what complaining does. Exodus chapter 14, verses 11 to 12. And they said to Moses, these are the people that he's leading, saying to Moses. Now listen to it. Just read the tone into this. If you can read tone into this. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Isn't that beautiful? Sarcasm? Yeah, sarcasm in the Bible right there. What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? It is like Moses put a gun to everybody's head saying, all right, you have to leave. No, it was all their decisions. But why did you make us leave 
Egypt. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we're still in Egypt? This is, I told you so, I told you so. That's sarcasm, exaggeration, I told you so, all in one small paragraph. And, and, and <laughs> we said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves in Egypt. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. They even had a slogan. I had a slogan. And so that was something that they, they just had this beautiful slogan. So get all that in that short paragraph. Notice the exaggeration of, uh, you made us come. We're going to die. And notice the blaming. You did this. You did this. All because of bad circumstances. And, and can I just pull back from the story a bit to realize and recognize life circumstances were difficult. It's not like God says, oh, come on, this is all nice and rosy. <laughs> no, they were slaves, and that's bad. Life circumstances were bad. There was an army bearing down on them. Circumstances were bad. Uh, they didn't have water or food. The battles were hard. Of course, they had, as, as we would say, they had things that they could complain about. But what was their solution? Exaggeration, blaming, sarcasm, uh, quoting off slogans. And it all focused around how God is unfair. God, you did this to us. You are unfair, and that is so wrong. God's leadership is wrong. But, but in the midst of all this, what did they miss? Let, let, let's, let's think about that story. If you're new to the Bible, let me tell you some of the things they missed. They complained about the workload. And yet they saw the miracle of the plagues that, that they were able to tell generations after generations after generations. They were being trapped at the Red Sea when Pharaoh's army was bearing down on them. Bad circumstance, totally bad circumstance. But they experienced the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. We always say, I would love to see that. But I'm not sure if we would have loved to have the, the fear of this army bearing down on you just before. They complained about this bitter water. We're out here. We're dying of thirst and there's no water. But they experienced the miracle of that water being transformed. They complained about being hungry. There's nothing to eat. We didn't bring enough lunch. But they experienced the miracle of manna. Experienced the miracle of manna. What went wrong? What went wrong? Here's a couple things. Uh, a couple things I can point at. You could probably think of a few things yourself. Number one, number one, they got used to the wonders that God had given them. They just sort of got used to it. And, and so their exaggeration, their blaming God, sort of not only covered over the miracles that God had done, they sort of negated the miracles that God had done. For instance, in Numbers chapter 21, verse 5, and it says, and they began to speak against, and this is one of the first time it says, God and Moses. So really, their, their complaints against their circumstances was a complaint against God. And it says, why have you brought us out, out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? You think, didn't you just read that? No, that the, the complaints are kind of similar. They complained. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. Okay, if you heard that complaint, you go, that, that's horrible. Then listen, listen how the verse ends. And we hate the horrible manna. <laughs> like they tried making, you know, boiling it. They tried frying it. They tried roasting it over open fires. We just hate this stuff. But hold on, hold on. 
they, they said they had nothing to eat. But they had manna. Their complaints about life overshadowed the miracle of God. Overshadowed the miracle of God. God, give me a job. God, you got to give me a job. Oh, God, please give me a job. God, I hate this job. <laughs> it's a stupid job. Stupid job. I don't want to be single anymore. God, just please, i got to get married. Oh, this is so hard. Why did you put me in this? Oh, God, I want children. Oh, God, please give me children. Oh, oh give me one hour. <laughs> you, you hear it, right? You hear it. Now, I, I'm not saying... Life circumstances aren't hard. They're really, really hard. But sometimes the difficulty of life overshadows the miracles he has given you. They didn't focus on the fact. They were witnesses to miracles. They had the parting of the Red Sea, bread falling from heaven. Not until the time of Jesus do you have one generation hitting so many miracles in a row. You, you, you don't see that through the Old Testament. But, but it was the children of Israel that saw miracles. All the plagues, all, all those things. You go, wow, so many miracles of God. And by the way, miracles don't happen often. That's why they're called miracles. And, and yet... The, they didn't see that until the time of Jesus. The difficulties they needed to see were opportunities for God to show his power. They had freedom from, God had freed them from slavery, showed them his power. And miracle after miracle, they walked through the Red Sea. They, they were fed from heaven, and all they could do was complain. And I get this. This is so human of us. It is. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hold up an ideal that... Uh, you go, well, Dave, that's impossible. But they never focused on God. They just never did. They always focused on their own pain. And they had real pain. I'm not trying to negate the pain. We have real pain in our lives. That, that's, that's the real stuff. But in the midst of that, they let their pain overshadow God. Can I say in, uh, in Canada, complaining is a national sport. You know, if we had a national sport, it's not hockey, it is complaining. The weather is the first thing, right? Whenever I'm, I'm going in masked up to grab my tea somewhere, the first thing is about weather. It, you know, if we're not in a snowstorm, it's gray and, you know, uh, wet and it, it's bad. Remember those days when you'd actually sit at Timmy's <laughs> and listen to you around you? What are people doing around you? What, what are they doing? If you listen into other conversations, I would bet, that 90% of them would be some kind of complaint. There would be some kind of complaint, not just about the weather, about politics. I'm not even going to go there. About, about how somebody got more shifts than they did. About somebody said that they had hardly any money, but you know where they went for vacation. All that kind of stuff, right? You'd hear complaints all around you. It's a national sport in Canada. Uh, you, you hear it all the time. Money is so tight. The boss drives me crazy. The Wi-Fi is so slow here. This house is so small. Man, there are no new shows on Netflix. <laughs> horrible, horrible abuse. <laughs> All right. It's not about the weather, the money, or Netflix, really. You know what the problem is? It's where our focus is. Interesting, Travis Radbury uh, wrote uh, an inter a beautiful book, a follow-up on emotional intelligence. He called it Emotional Intelligence 2.0. 
uh, among the several things that, that he wrote about, he said there's this confirmation bias. Basically, if we complain, it, it sets pathways, neural pathways in our brains. We know that. We've talked about that neuroplasticity before. It, it sets up actually physical pathways in our brains to complain even more. And so now these, these pathways can make this thing called confirmation bias. Uh, you expect something to go wrong with the person. Why? Because... You expect somebody to go wrong, and so you always see things going around around that person. You expect an institution to be bad because if you've complained about it enough, th guess what? If things are wrong, those things will be highlighted in your brain, and so they'll just th there'll be this confirmation balance, confirmation balance. All churches are horrible. All churches are horrible. You say that enough, you'll start to see horrible things around churches, and that can ripple out to everything else. It's <laughs> our brains create the algorithm that Facebook does to show you the advertisements that you believe in. Our brain does that if we complain. Our brain does that if we complain. We've taken our eyes off the goodness of God. Could you imagine if we actually trained our brains to see the goodness of God? <laughs> Even though this is hard, let's not pretend it's not. Even though there's a lot of pain here, I'm going to declare your goodness, God. I am going to declare your goodness. If anyone had the right to complain, it was Paul. I did uh, my last book study for my personal devotions on, in Philippians. And uh, Paul's number one desire was go to Rome to be a preacher, to preach. Paul's strategy in the book of Acts was to go to a big city, plant a church there, and then that big city would then plant churches off in the, in the countryside. And so he went to big city after big city. And what a better big city in ancient Rome than Rome. And so his goal was... I'm going to get to Rome. I'm going to go and preach in the synagogues, preach in the streets. We're going to get a huge church that's going to influence the whole empire. Uh, you could just sense that. And he wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to get to Rome as a preacher. And he got to Rome as a prisoner. As a prisoner. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but he was sent as a prisoner. This is a loss of a dream. Have you ever had a dream that you just, it fell aside, and, and you mourn, and, and we should mourn loss, losses of dreams. That's okay. Sadness is, is a God-given emotion. But if we focus on that, if we focus on, on the death of a dream, you don't understand what the book of Philippians is all about, where he says, more than any other book, rejoice. You miss the rejoicing. So not only was he sent to Rome as a prisoner, he lost his freedom. The floor was hard. The food was bad. The soldiers probably smelt. As somebody that was brought up as a Pharisee that would not go into a Gentile's home, guess what? He's surrounded by them all, the, all over the place, man. And so guess what? L listen to how he writes about in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. And now, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. Did you hear that word, actually? You can, you know, you tell, okay, I was planning, oh, you know, hold on, hold on. No, 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 this is good because this is actually helping the gospel. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard. We're going to find out how it became clear through the whole 
palace guard, and everyone else, and I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Basically, Paul's going, I'm telling the gospel to these soldiers with swords. I'm chained to them. You know, and you're afraid to go out and, and speak on the streets? You know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. This is, this is his thought, man. Man, if I'm, I'm pouring it on like hot sauce, guess what? Everybody else gets a little bit more bold. And not only that, was, was he, you know, he was chained to these people, but they were also chained to him. I want you to think for a moment, if, uh, if, if you or I wrote this letter to the Philippians, you were, were chained to these soldiers. This is how maybe some of us would write the letter. Uh, Dear Philippians, send help. The food is bad. The soldiers stink. My, my, my wrists hurt from the chains. My dreams have died, and God is silent on all things. He has not rescued me, and I pray that you would pray for me to get out of these chains because it's bad. It's really bad. Wow. I, wouldn't that be great to read in the Bible? <laughs> but Paul changed his perspective. If, if, if Paul was chained to them, they were chained to Paul. Some people think the real prisoners were the soldiers. Could you imagine being a soldier uh, chained to Paul? Hey, hey, what's your name? Oh, uh, Claudius. All right, Claudius. Tell me about your, what, you, what do you believe in? Oh, you have uh, gods, little gods in your pouch. Let me tell you about the living God. And, you know, Claudius goes, oh, I've heard about this guy. Well, we got the next six hours together. <laughs> and Paul just, like, like, lays the gospel on these people. Why? Because he's, he, he realizes it's bad. It's not, it's not. He, he asked Timothy, could you bring my cloak? Why, he needed his cloak because he was cold. So and we're not saying it wasn't bad circumstances. But what's he focusing on? The things that really count for eternity. And then at the end of the letter, he writes Philippians 4.22. All God's people send you, uh, send you greetings. Basically, the, 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 the Christians from Rome say hi. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. He sticks that in as <laughs> the dream of influencing the head of the government of the whole empire, we're in. Why? Because through a horrible situation, God created a miracle. Through being backed up against the Red Sea, the Red Sea parted. It wasn't his expectation, it wasn't his dream, but God took it and made it into something beautiful. And because of this, Paul tells us his rule. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Some translations say that do everything without grumbling or complaining. So that you may become blameless and pure. Hear the same words as James talked about. If you can control your mouth, you're, you're going to be mature. You're, you're going to be blameless. And you go, of course there's all kinds of other sins. No, this is, this is how important it is. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Again, he's recognizing it's bad out there. I love this. This is such a visual. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. In other words, the world is black. And it's black out there. But guess what? There's pinpoints of light. 
in those pinpoints of light, every so often people will stop and look and go, it's beautiful. And not all the times, but sometime people will stop in a dark, dark world and look at us and say, that's beautiful. And how does that happen without us complaining? As the world around us complains about the news, the weather, the people at work, when we don't complain or grumble, we shine out as different. But the opposite is true. If we just jump in with the complaints, guess what? We turn out like the black sky like everyone else. I want to focus on what's good and pleasant. And that's why he continues in, in Philippians chapter 4 to say, think on these things. That, that I, I love Psalm 103, 1 to 2. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord in all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. And he says it again. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Well, why, why would you ever forget a benefit of God? <laughs> we all do it. I do it. We all forget the benefits. We forget the miracles as we chomp on the manna and say, I hate this stupid manna, forgetting that it's manna from heaven. <laughs> uh, two big ideas I think Paul would tell us, and here's the take home. How do we actually work on this one? Are you in bad circumstances? Are you? Of course, Dave, we all are. This is why this is an all-skate. This is for everybody who listens, whether you're a believer or not. If you, change your, if you can change your circumstances, then change it. Do something about it. Get counseling. Apply for a job. Get an accountability partner. Do something about it. Uh, Paul, he said when he was stopped by Satan to go into one town, he went to another town. He didn't sit back and say, well, I guess I can't do anything. He, if he could change things, he changed things. That's why I love the story of Nehemiah. He's, he's in, everybody's complaining. The walls are broken down. The walls are broken down. But he was in a position where actually he could do something about it. So if you can change your circumstance, then change it. Do something about it. But if you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. God, God, what are you doing in the unchangeable? Paul was not the center of his story. Jesus was the center of his story. So what can God be doing in the unchangeable? For Paul, it was witnessing to the soldiers. Paul, it was witnessing to the soldiers. He held his dreams with, with open hands. God, what can you do in the middle of circumstances that I can't change? I, I can't tell you. God can. If, if you're, you've been in discipleship groups and doing listening prayer, I, I know sometimes we, we talk about, well, why do we do listening prayer? And here's an exercise that would be good. Where are you, God? Where are you in the middle of this mess? Just ask him. Where are you in the middle of this mess? I, I want to see where you are in this What's one thing I can do in the middle of this mess? We're not going to deny it's a mess. We're not going to be, oh, it's all good. No, it's horrible. But God, where are you? And what's one thing you, you want me to do? Maybe it's, this is the time that you can pray for those who are close to you more than you've ever prayed for before. Maybe this is the time to write to people. Maybe this is... Uh, I can't tell you what, but God can. God, where are you in the middle of this mess? And what's one thing I can do? If you're in a bad place that you can't change, God is there. So, so 
I'm asking, what, what circumstance are you chained to? What circumstance are you chained to that you can't change? Well, what does God want you to do? Every so often I come across one of those amazing saints. <laughs> those old, old people that uh, have like, like trusted God their whole life. There's so few. There's so few out there. But when you run into one, it's awesome. I, I, I tell stories about this woman several times. Her name is Grandma Hammond. And uh, when I got to know her as a 17-year-old, I'm sure she was still uh, like in 90 years old. And uh, she was looking forward to getting to an old person's home because she said she wanted to die so well that other people would come to Jesus. <laughs> She was asking not to be put in a private room, but in a room with many other people so that, that they would see her go to glory. <laughs> Who does that? It's a bad situation. But God, where are you in this? And what's the one thing you can redeem out of this thing? God, what's the one thing you can redeem out of this thing? You know that pot that I put on the counter? <laughs> it burned a hole. It was there for a couple of years. Finally, my dad said, okay, we're going to fix this. He was very frugal. He grew up in the, in the Depression. So we weren't going to get a new countertop. And so he built a, a, a cutting board into the countertop. And it's uh, really funny when uh, the, uh, um, well, the real estate person was, was selling uh, my dad's house. So that's a really unique idea to have a cutting board built right into the countertop. That's really cool. That's a selling feature. <laughs> so bad circumstances. I get it. What can one thing, God, what's one thing that you can do? So I'm going to leave you with that as our worship team is getting ready to come on out. If I can't change a thing, if you can change something, change it. If you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. And let's pray. Let's pray right now. Let's spend some quiet time. We're going to be, have a little time of silence as a worship team. Yeah, come on. Come on. Uh, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, why? Where are you in this? Just tell our people where you are in their mess. Where are you, are you, Father? Just listen to him. Heavenly Father, what's one thing that we can do? What's one thing that we can do? Uh, to work alongside of eternity in this mess. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for giving us that hope so we can turn from complaining and turn towards you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Hey, Andrew. <laughs> hey. Good to see you again. Yeah, I've been up here for a little while. Yeah. Have, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Q&A. I, I love this part, actually, because it makes you, like, think yeah. through. And, yeah, uh, and I, we love the feedback, too, so it's not just one way. It goes back and forth. Yeah. So thank you for uh, shooting out your questions. <laughs> All right. Um, one way, actually, this is one that, that I had, as you were speaking, yeah. I thought of. There's this book called Acceptable Sins, um, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. <laughs> and so I'm pretty sure complaining is in there. And I was thinking yeah. that it's like complaining isn't one of those sins that, like, is super high up there, right? You never hear people yeah, yeah, say, oh, yeah. Jesus could never accept me because I complain, right? Like, yeah, there's a whole yeah. other list of things. But but God gets really angry <laughs> at complaining. Like in the, in the passage, you were like, it was like earth opening, yeah. <laughs> fire coming. Hey, you're never going to enter this land. Like that was. And so 
as I was thinking about that, like it's a big deal. But what do you think, yeah. you know, the essence of, like, why is it yeah, such yeah. A, a serious sin? Because I think we just kind of slough it off. Totally. But what, yeah, what's behind it that makes a, a serious sin, do you think? Yeah, I'd love to hear your opinion too. But I know because it, I, I thought somebody was going to ask this because uh, sometimes it talks about complaining to the Lord. It, it's a good thing. Like to say, God, uh, you know, their complaints rang out and, and he actually did something about it. So when you go to God and say, I trust in you to do something, God. I want you to do something, God. Then that's, that's good. So it's not like, oh, everything's fine. Things are bad. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to depend on you. Their complaints were against God. God, you put me here. Uh, you, are, you are not good for doing that. In fact, uh, there's sort of a metaphor for people wanting to go back to Egypt is, is a metaphor for us wanting to leave the Christian life. I, I don't want to be under your care anymore. I want to go back. I don't trust you, God, because you did a bad job at this thing. And a lot of times we don't, oh, I would never say that. But you start to, to go back and you go, oh, is that really what I'm saying? Mm. Like I forgot your goodness. I don't trust in you for this. Uh, I just like to go and rail about the situation you put me in. And then all of a sudden the light goes on. Oh, I'm actually not complaining to you. I'm claiming, proclaim, uh, complaining about you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, and, yeah, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think just in terms of like it's a lack of gratitude, right? Yeah, so complaint yeah, yeah. is yep. the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be, right? And it's disparaging God, right? When we complain about our circumstance or this or that, it's really complaining yeah, about yeah, God. Yeah. And it, and when you, we do it to other people in front of other people, yep. right? It's disparaging who God is. So yeah, a couple <laughs> reasons why yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we might want to take uh, complaining seriously, <laughs> right? Um, there was a, I don't know if you remember, at the Global Leadership Summit, there was a speaker. And uh, she wrote this book called um, Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People. And so I wanted yeah, to like, yeah. just look at, if we talk about complaining as sin, that obviously yeah. makes it serious. But um, just thinking through, like, how does complaining negatively <laughs> affect us? And I remember she talked about the idea of, of leadership. And when we begin an interaction, a meeting, a conversation, meeting yeah, someone yeah. with a complaint, that actually sets, like, the, like, the ground for the rest of that, right? Yeah. And yeah. So, so she talked about the fact of, like, oh, like, when you like meet someone and you're first, oh, isn't the weather terrible? Don't you hate, like, it's like, it's a, like, it is not setting you up to succeed. No. Uh, what do you, what do you think in terms of complaining? Like, how does it yeah. hurt us uh, complaining? Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's be honest. There's bad stuff around. It's not like we don't know there's bad stuff. Like, this is horrible. I hate the lockdown. I hate, I hate, you know, the virus. This is all horrible. But could you, you know, nobody's going to, like, follow me as a leader. Uh, there's, I remember somebody saying, nobody follows negative people as leaders. Oh, this is horrible. You know, they, they're not going to go, well, you're not giving me hope. You're not giving me vision. You're not actually leading me. You're just telling me what I know already. So thank you very much. So I actually want to make a difference. I want to make a positive difference. And so if I stop complaining uh, or I move that uh, aside, then, then actually my leadership, yeah, becomes much more, I'm actually leading people to a better place. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like you're part of the crowd if you're complaining, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I might be part of the crowd for this <laughs> pandemic on that. But uh, <laughs> all right, here I uh, had a question that came in. And it was a good one in terms of like, okay, how do we... What do we do instead yeah, of complaining? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, how do we as Christians help for social change and recognize things are wrong without being caught up uh, in complaining? 
Yeah. So like you yeah. said, right, we, we recognize injustice in the world. We recognize that things aren't good. Uh, so instead of getting caught up in that, what, yeah. what can we do as Christians instead of complaining? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. I think always complaining is like things are bad, but there doesn't seem to be a solution to it. Whereas, man, if you can, if you can do something, do something. Write the letter. Uh, don't complain about it, then actually do something. Write the letter that needs to be, to be written. Uh, change your uh, yeah, buying skills. Uh, change uh, how you treat others around you. D- yeah, do something about it instead of just talking about it. That would be one. Yeah, what, yeah. what, what would you say? Yeah, I think, and in that, right, because I think sometimes we feel powerless to yeah, do anything, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, if we can, first step is like, if you can do something, do something. Yeah. But if you're feeling powerless, like, oh, I can't do anything, all I can do is complain. I think uh, for me, and especially going through this time, yeah. it, it's prayer, right? Because you actually can do something. Uh, yeah. So I know at one point, uh, lots of decisions being made uh, in the province and beyond, <laughs> and the natural instinct is to complain. And then it's like, because you feel powerless. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't do that. And then I, I thought, oh, okay, you know what? I actually should pray because <laughs> these decisions are difficult. These are hard, whatever, right? And so I think that's, that's an alternative to complaining, right? When yeah, you feel yeah. like, oh, I can't do anything, which is a good first step, uh, well, then you can pray because that's doing something. Yeah, yeah. And the Bible tells us to pray for our, our political leaders. Like, uh, and I, I love the, I love it in Timothy. Paul's telling Timothy to pray for, you know, uh, kings and everybody in charge. They're horrible people back then. <laughs> they were not like, you think whatever political stripe you don't like, that was worse back then. Right. So yeah, he says, yeah, we should be praying for them. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of prayer, did I talk? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about prayer at Church on the Rock. There is a lot that goes on as far as prayer goes. Uh, Helen has this thing called 1010. 10 for 10 minutes uh people people pray and if you'd love to sign up for that if you say hey can i just like phone up somebody and pray for that 10 minute little bit then uh, get please get a hold of helen i know helen and nancy burton they do pre-service prayer so every every sunday before this service goes on from 9 to 9 30 there's prayer that goes on so if you want to get involved in that you can get involved in that i heard about our moms connect uh which is uh, we don't hear a lot about but moms connect uh is this group of mothers that get together and want just like shared and bared her heart and then because of that uh, other people said hey we need to pray for each other and they broke up and in pairs and prayed and and prayer is is something we can do and so we're going to hold a prayer summit it's like a prayer and praise without the 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 music part we're holding a prayer summit this next Sunday night at 7 o'clock, jump on Zoom, and we're going to hear about some of our ministries at church. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our city, our government. We're going to pray for our situation. So instead of complaining, this next Sunday night, 7 o'clock, watch for the Zoom links. They, I, I know they'll be on Facebook. Maybe we can get it on, on our e-update too and to get it out there for people so we can come together and pray. We'll, we'll pray as a group. We'll pray in, uh, in breakout rooms but let's see some prayer go up at, from Church on the Rock. Awesome. And, uh, and Dave, just uh, in the last few weeks, we've been pulling together our, uh, our financial work from yeah. last year and looking ahead. And so uh, in the next few weeks, obviously, we're going to um, be bringing a budget and kind yep. of a year-end summary, uh, as well as just an update on our uh, building campaign. But just to give you a little preview, um, the Church on the Rock family and God have been, like, so good hmm. this last year. It's been hmm. amazing. And so... Uh, Thank you, Church on the Rock, just for your continued giving. 
I know in some ways it's been harder because we haven't been yeah. in person, but people have been uh, really faithful. And, and in our building campaign at the end of the year, just faithful there as well. So thank you so much for your faithful giving to allow us to continue. And um, yeah, we'll look forward to some announcements on that as well. Great. So. Looking forward to it. All right. Uh, could you maybe close us in prayer and then Love we'll... Head off. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Church on the Rock and what you do through us still in, in small groups, in, uh, in the uh, avalanche retreat that's going on right now. And I know some of our junior highs are, are, are involved in that retreat online. And I just want to thank you for the prayer that goes on. And uh, thank you for so many things that, that, that uh, circumstance can't stop. You continue to go forward. And so continue to uh, help all of us. It's during this next week, every time that we get that sense to complain, help us to say, God, okay, where are you in this? What, what can I do? How can I change my perspective? Help that to be that little red light in our heart and soul so you can actually change our hearts. Thank you. We're looking forward to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll see you week. next week.